All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Surviving Hollywood Podcast. My name's Austin. My name is Aaron. And I'm Johnny Ray Diaz. And we just got finished talking to a great guy, a friend of ours that Aaron and I actually met on a shoot, Paul Marcarelli. I think a lot of you know him out there for his tenure as the Verizon Can You Hear Me Now guy, and of course, his new gig, Sprint. And it was a great conversation, right? First of all, let me just say, uh, Paul came on this podcast with nothing to plug. We even asked him at the end, you know, you want to plug anything? He's like, no, I just came to, you know, talk with you guys. And he, he did us a favor, basically. We texted him up, said, could you be on the podcast? Could you tell us your story about from Verizon to Sprint? And he really obliged and he had a lot to tell. So it was awesome. I think everybody's favorite part is going to be hearing about the audition for Verizon, doing Verizon for 10 years, how that changed his life. And then transitioning into Sprint, which was a big pop culture thing in itself. You know, Family Guy did a bit about it back in the day. So that's obvious. That was my favorite part, but we talked about a lot. I think, I think it was really cool how, you know, he talked about how, obviously, we know him from this Verizon campaign. It turned out to be this very huge, massive campaign that he was known for, that very lucrative as well. But how he was able to transition that into doing things he really wanted to do, which was like doing theater, producing his own indie films, um, many of them having to do with social justice issues um, and gay rights. And I thought that was like really cool that like he's now doing all these projects that, you know, really feel like they matter to him or something that he's really interested in. So to be able to like turn all that into your real passion, I think that's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Great conversation, great guy. Can you hear that? So you filmed a Sprint commercial from home? Yeah, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or not, but um, I think people yeah, we, work uh, for Sprint. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone, you know, everyone's trying to figure out how to do it so that it doesn't sound, uh, you know, they all kind of sound the same right now. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, you know, I guess this is, I, I don't want to say the word unprecedented because I think it's been overused, but, you know, everyone is, I don't think anyone in our lifetime, uh, you know, in our lifetime has experienced something like this. And so everyone's trying to figure it out and strike the right tone. Um, and I do think that it, um, oof, yeah, you don't want to make someone cringe. You don't want to look like you're trying to sell, sell, sell while, you know, 3.8 million people today. I think the numbers were filed for unemployment. Damn. You know? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. everybody. So, um, so you know, I, are you selling to people? Are you, you know, sort of continuing to foster a relationship between the brand and people uh, and and customers? Or what exactly? Or what what service can you offer someone right now? Right. So it's yeah. I think it's a weird time when people are trying to figure it out. But they all, they all, no, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. Um, and in fact, you know, germane to this conversation that we're having, I, um, I really don't know what I have to offer <laughs> considering, you know, I haven't left my house in six weeks and um, we're all in this sort of state of despair and, uh, cycling in and out of stages of 
grief for the life that we're leaving behind and um, trying to find meaning in what we do. And then on the other side of it, the only thing that's got that's gotten most people through is that, you know, at seven o'clock they know they can they can watch something that will make them uh, feel something or feel connected or, you know, that they can watch as a, a pod or a family or a group. I mean, we build our whole day around what we're going to watch at night. And that's because people like us made shit. Um, so at the same time that you're feeling like what I do is not the thing that gets someone out of the burning building, I'm not a doctor and uh, I'm not working in an emergency room and um, I'm, I'm not saving any lives. You, you, you can't discount the value in art and um, creating content that gives people something to do so that we can stay the hell out of the way. Um, and also makes us feel like part of the human race, you know? I mean, art connects us, right? Mm -hmm. um, and real suffering is an isolation and separation, which I think a lot of people are experiencing. So, you know, there, there is a certain nobility in creating something uh, that will help people in times like this feel a little bit more connected. Um, yeah, so, so it's when, a tough one. Well, when you say that, are you talking about the projects you produce or the commercial that you just shot? No, I absolutely not the projects I've made. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I mean, it's possible. Uh, it's possible. I mean, I think, I think I'm, I'm speaking in broader terms. Um, I, um, I, I know how valuable having just streaming capabilities have been for me and all of this um, in creating some kind of calm or escape or sense of connection. And um, you know, I, I, there have been I, I, moments in work that I've made um, that I felt um, that, 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 that I can see um, the execution of the intent. Um, but no, I, I don't think I have a, maybe nobody does, but I, I can't think of one thing in particular that I've made where I said, this is, this is as intended. And, mm. um, but that's what keeps you trying to make new stuff, I guess. What's, you know, what's been your, uh, your go-to? So you say that around seven o'clock, you guys are planning something every evening. So what's Well, see, now that's the thing too. I mean, if I could show you the books that this camera are stacked on, this was the intent <laughs> going into this lockdown. Um, <laughs> I have Dostoevsky, uh, Heidegger, Marcel Proust. Um, uh, there's this, Gunter Grass book, Peeling the Onion, that I've been intending to read since I was 40 and I'm about to be 50. Wow. Um, yeah, uh, Maxims by La Rochefoucauld. I've got, um, let's see what else here. Um, Nietzsche, of course. Wow, these for, are all you know, uh, heavy for books. The pandemic. This was all the intent. <laughs> Life-changing books. However, I have discovered that the only thing I have any attention to uh, span for whatsoever is Project Runway, and so I started. So I started watching Project Runway from the beginning, all over again, and now I'm watching seasons that I that I missed. And um, I, I I do want to say that even though I had intentions to delve into 
things that were edifying and um, you know things that I had intended to learn and and read about in this time. Maybe there's something about Project Runway that speaks to process in a way in a very sort of uh, uh, um, blatant way. I mean, it is it's about the creative process and. Uh, it's also like really um, pretty and sparkly and easy to watch, <laughs> and I think that's just what my 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 yeah. brain has you know. That's what you need right out. now. Yeah, you just yeah. need to decom decompress almost. Yeah, 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 and I, I think that's I think that's a huge part of it. But also, I do think it's about process, and um, and that's always been more interesting uh, to me to discuss. Um, about the work that we all do. Um, I'm, I'm much more interested in the process than I am in the product. The product brings nothing but pain. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's true because uh, even when you're um, accepting praise and compliment, it's the flip side of the coin of um, uh, criticism and uh, ridicule. It, it, it's the same thing. It activates the exact same um, ego system that you have to get away from if you want to be good at what you do. Um, mm -hmm. And so, in a way, I um, I never trust a compliment. Um, and I, I also you. think that yeah. And and anyway, I think they get in the way. I think they get in the way. Um, My ego likes them, but I know what you mean. Never trust a compliment, you know. No, no, don't. I, I was trying yeah. to be nice. I mean, yeah. of course, of course. I mean, it's the right thing to do. I, I, I'm very free with compliments. Um, but in terms of, of my thing, like, I, I don't even want my, my trainer at the gym to compliment me. Uh, we try to get away from that. Hmm. <laughs> we try to get away from that entirely. I, I, don't, I, 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 I don't need that kind of encouragement. And instead, you want your trainer to criticize you. Yeah. That's what you want. Well, it, yeah, that's what I want. I want to be tortured by my training. No, I, 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 I don't want um, criticism either, obviously. Right. I mean, I think they're, like I said, I think they're, they're pretty much, um, you know, they're conjoined twins, criticism and compliments. Just, so like Austin, just like Austin and I. Yeah, exactly. Just kidding. And you know I'm a twin, right? Did you know that? I, I think you might have mentioned it. I don't, I don't know much yeah. about it. Yeah. Does he look just like you? He looks nothing like me. All right. Um, he uh, he's a fire uh, uh, the chief of a fire department in the town near mm -hmm. near where I live. Nice. Oh, you you know where, your house where, is safe. I, my house is safe. Um, both of us actually are the people you turn to in a crisis, as it turns out, just in different in different ways. Um, Communication yeah. and fire relief. Yeah, I guess so. In some ways. Um, and we're both absolutely horrible with minor inconvenience, but, <laughs> um, but catastrophe, you know, right. I'm your guy. So yeah. I have to ask you real quick, Paul, cause yeah. I just, I just be, keep seeing it right now. What is that art piece behind you? Oh, um, yes, that's, that's a piece that. It's so interesting. Um, I thought it was Napoleon dynamite for a second from a distance. It looks so far away. Bonaparte. It was like yeah. a puppet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's yeah, it's it's uh, an actor with a ventriloquist puppet. Ah, and um, my friend Kate Pascarelli made it. She's uh, an incredible painter, and um, 
I fell in love with the piece. That's actually the actor that was in Moonlight Kingdom uh, as an adult. Like he was the kid and now he's like- Is that the, the Wes Anderson movie? A grown human. Yeah, the Wes Anderson movie. Okay. Wow. And, oh, um, okay. Yeah, and that is he all grown up uh, with, uh, with the Charlie <laughs> McCarthy dummy, so. That's funny. Um, I actually, yeah, I wanted to be a puppeteer when I was little. That was really? my, that was sort of my goal. But um, I fell in love with this piece just because I think it has like- What excited you about puppeteering? That's an interesting type of art. Um, I really don't know. Okay, I, I'm gonna probably make a reference that you wouldn't know. Um, but obviously, you know, the, the Muppet Show. I mean, I was obsessed with the Muppets. Classic. I thought they were, yeah, I thought they were incredible. Um, and that whole world was just like so campy. And so, mm -hmm. you know, a little kid with like a burgeoning queer sensibility um, without knowing what to call it, there mm. was something about the Muppet Show that was just pure camp. I mean, it was like explosive camp. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's where I, I learned about, you know, show tunes and um, the Mamas and the Papas and Carol Channing and, you know, it, for, for whatever reason, it sort of like formed this whole kind of, it, it, it was completely in line with my little kid queer sensibility. And then, um, uh, but, but I was also in love with this, um, this uh, puppet called Madam. I don't know if you know who that is. You might have to do a little research. It it's pink? long before your time. Um, she was, no, she was this sort of fabulous kind of grand dam of a puppet. Um, and uh, God forgive me, but I've forgotten uh, the puppeteer's name. Um, he died of AIDS very early. And Wayland the, uh, Flowers. Wait, oh my God, did you know that or did you just Watch look this. that up? <laughs> well done. Um, but she, uh, she's in the Smithsonian now. And oh, wow. um, she actually outed me, um, ironically enough, when I was, um, I was obsessed with her when I was little. So, you know, by second grade, she was already outing me without my knowing it. Um, but I, uh, I went to this party like very early on in when I had the Verizon job. And I can't remember what it was, but basically Madam made an appearance out of the Smithsonian for the first time mm. in, you know, 15 years or something. Uh -huh. It was this is like 2001 or 2002. And, um, and when did you start, when did you start Verizon? Like 1990? Uh, I started, no, no, I started that in 2001. I started working with them in 2001. Okay. I think it kind of officially ended like around 2014. I told you um, this when we were on set with you, but like those commercials, part of our childhood, you know, those are iconic commercials. Those are great. Yeah. Really? Well, that's, yeah. that's very nice of you to say. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, there were certainly a lot of them. And Just I take the compliment, okay? <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> trust. Um, I mean, certainly there, there were a lot of them. And I think that's a huge part of it. I mean, I've always thought that, you know, you could make a, well, people have made pet rocks a thing. You know what I mean? If, if you're willing to put enough money behind it and expose it enough, it, you know, it will become known. And, you yeah. Know, but how did she out you? Throw Say that again. But how did she? Oh, how did she? Out you? Yeah, out you. she. Um, so there was a there was. <laughs> Madam was at this event, and I completely fanboyed on Madam, and um, ended up somehow or another in the back pages of HX, which at the time was like a gay weekly entertainment magazine in New York, and um, 
and I can't remember what the caption was, and I haven't seen it for years, so I don't know. But I was totally like outed right then and there. And you know, this is this is also an interesting conversation because Wait, how are you, how are you been, outed? How are you outed? It was a quote well, by her saying Paul is. No, you're in a, you're I mean it was it wasn't. Yeah, I mean it wasn't specifically an outing. It was just like you know, what is this dude doing in a gay bar at this ah. event with this incredibly gay puppet and completely like blushing and almost crying. Um, and as, listen, I, I've never been uh, in the closet per se. I've always been an out actor, but um, I definitely got this sound. Okay, let me put this in perspective. Ellen DeGeneres lost her career in the 90s and didn't really get a, her talk show didn't take off until like 2003 or 2004 so there is this kind of like no man's land period where people were like yeah you basically won't get a job mm -hmm. and um so i never went in the closet but this character that i played specifically for verizon had no persona outside of had no public persona. He was essentially this um, cartoon character, right? Correct so, me if I'm wrong, but Verizon specifically told you, we don't want you uh, telling people your name. We don't want you telling people your orientation. Is that... Well, no. I mean, I, I, I think they were, they were really married to the idea that there would be nothing about a public persona of the actor playing this character that would be public. And I think that was just for the purpose of maintaining the, the messaging control and the integrity of this character that they were creating. And so I don't think there was anything nefarious in it. I think it was just interesting and it was counter to what most actors do to create a living for themselves, which is they go out and promote themselves. So they do right. interviews and they invite people into their home and they do like architectural digest pieces and they, um, they go on talk shows and now, of course, everyone is, has an online presence of one kind or another. Um, and so it was more like they wanted social to, media presence. So they wanted to keep the character more like a mystery sort of, right? I don't even think that was the intention. I think okay. it was just the only time they wanted people to see him is when they were controlling the message. I like, see. The, and, and the whole concept behind the campaign was that he was just relentlessly, um, working on improving this network quality and that was mm -hmm. all he did so so even on camera i mean there was a rule book to you know he he, he never sits he never you know he's always on the go he's always you know so there so i think there was uh, doesn't eat he doesn't do anything exactly well, yeah. never ate yeah. ever yeah. um uh so so yeah i think that was um i, th I think that was it and so i didn't have even though I was offered the opportunity, certainly, to be on, you know, um, talk shows and do interviews and stuff like that, I never did any of that stuff. But Because um, you knew they'd say no. Because you knew they'd have Well, because it just wasn't part of it. It was, it, yeah, it was absolutely that I was being paid, that this was my job. Mm -hmm. and um, uh, And you don't want to blow that as an actor who's got a good gig. No, of course not. Of course not. And um, I wanted to keep my job. I wanted to stay employed. And um, I didn't want to disappoint anyone. I wanted to do a good job. And I was like, well, you know, for, for a while, I was like, that's okay, because I thought it was going to end every year. 
And like like how many moment. years? How many years did you do Verizon? Well, I mean, I worked actively with them for 10 years. Damn. And I was on the whole, yeah. So, yeah, well, I mean, it was about 200 days a year. Um, and That's really steady work, especially for an actor. It's, it's really steady work yeah. for an actor. I mean, it's an amazing gig. And I, I wasn't yeah. raised with money. My parents were school teachers. And, um, you know, I had, you know, lived in New York. I was going to say struggled, but I, I never really struggled. I lived in New York um, with roommates. And um, I, uh, you know, took any kind of job I could get and you know by the mid to late 90s I started making money in commercials and that sort of supported the work that I wanted to do in theater and I had a little nonprofit theater company and um, I, I did work with my friends through that theater company and that was really what I was focusing on but yeah the opportunity to have health insurance through a union right and to have money coming i mean it was it was incredible it was and to be iconic and, i mean you're an iconic figure too well for, in for some the ego ways, for the ego I, for just for the ego <laughs> you know i i um I, I don't know about that i mean honestly my theory is if you put enough money into anything it, it, it'll be well known and we might attach the word iconic to it right. you know i mean there's even like phone designs that are considered iconic now or anything could be iconic right. you know so it just, you know, it depends on how many billions you're putting behind it. Um, and also, I do think it was the right campaign at the right time. And it was the right, I do think it was the right person in the right job. Yes, At yes. the right time. Um, all of those th things seem to uh, coalesce in a way. You know, you think, I mean, the, when I started, people didn't, not everyone had cell phones. I mean, people were still buying the yeah, and people were still changing their lives, and so, mm -hmm. and um, in, in that regard, and so, uh, you you can't dismiss that it was it was the right thing at the right time, you know. Um, well, I, rem I remember because you said it was like two thousand one, right when you started around there. Yeah, it was the very end of two thousand one. So I was in high school at that time, and I remember obviously not everyone had cell phones. There also wasn't all these streaming platforms. So really, especially then, I feel like it was a heyday for commercials because you only had cable, the main networks, that was it. So you see that commercial everywhere and people were barely starting to get cell phones at that time. And I just remember getting the first, one of the first color phones that yeah. spread yeah. at that time. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it was definitely like a, a very emerging time in technology too, which is kind of cool that you were part of that, kind of that whole, that whole growth and that jump, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it was definitely, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's probably over in terms of like doing it the way it was done. I and mean, it was very, in, in a lot of ways, it was really traditional advertising right. um, in a way that, that's gone. I mean, it was, it was everything you would expect. It was, you know, everything from television to radio to point of purchase, um, you know, stuff to outdoor advertising. Um, print advertising, magazines. I mean, yeah. all it was newspapers. It would be whole pages of newspaper. I mean, it was everywhere um, in those traditional um, uh, platforms. So it's definitely different now. It's more diffuse. And, you know, I, if I go in for a day of work, um, I'll, I'm not shooting one commercial. Like I'm shooting, you know, 15 different versions of a similar message 
that are specifically geared towards all these specific platforms and the time restraints, the aspect ratios, right. everything that's different, right. you know. This, this is commercials um, for a phone. It's, it's going to be 15 seconds. This is going to be for TV. Yeah. It's going to be, you know. Yeah. 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 And that never existed before. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, it's a very different thing. Did you ever, yeah. did you ever know when you first got this campaign that it was going to be so big? Probably by year five. No. No, I'm, what's that? By year five, maybe he assumed it was pretty big. Yeah, right. yeah. But, but initially, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, initially, I mean, when you know, I I, I went in for an audition, and then um, what I was that like? For, Tell us about that. Um, I mean, you know, it hadn't been revealed that it was a campaign, so nobody, not even my agent, knew it was a campaign. Um, and uh, you know, there was just one line in the initial campaign, and so, um. I, I went in and they just kind of had me walking back and forth. I think I had, if I'm not mistaken, I had a, a whiteboard eraser that I was using as a cell phone. And I just had to sort of like walk around the space hmm. and say the line over and over and over again. And then, um, that was that line, what it, what it is you're famous that you're known for, or did it change? Yes. It changed, yeah, okay. no, no, that was the line. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and I had just done a play where, I, this is why I think I got it. Okay, so I was the last appointment on the last day after they'd seen about 1,500 people in about four different cities. Jeez. And they were like, we're, they were like, let's just see a couple more people. And, um, and, I, and I think I was the last appointment on that last day. And, um, and for whatever reason, I, you know, there, I think there are a lot of variables and criteria that, you know, that surround something like this. And there are a lot of people that have to agree. And then there's test marketing and all that stuff. But it was for whatever reason, I think I, I checked more boxes than the person before me. And um, so I think that was a huge part of it. But also I, w I had been doing this play where um, called The Adding Machine, um, which is basically, it was basically this sort of like expressionistic play where I was, um, speaking my thoughts out loud and, and I was talking to the person next to me. So I was in this like, um, I was in this space of, and it was all non sequiturs. So it, it, you know, you couldn't mess up. It was like, you know, it, uh, it was, it was really hard to thread the logic of all of this together in a way so that you could perform it in, in a natural way and keep it in your head. Like theater of um, the absurd. Like, uh, yeah, it, it, it actually is, an, I think it's expressionistic, technically speaking. It was written in the 20s in the U.S. by Elmer Rice. And, um, uh, and it has surrealistic aspects, but it's really more expressionistic. Um, but the upshot is that I, you know, I had this really intense scene that I had worked on all summer for this theater festival in, uh, in September, August or September. Um, yeah, it was right before 9-11, actually. And, um, and so I was in this headspace of, um, I think it was already innate in me to sort of like listen when I was actually really asking a question, like listen for an answer. And I, and, and then, and then go back to the thought, like, and, and for whatever reason, I think I brought some of that, um, that energy, um, into the, into the simple little audition. And so there was something about I was really asking the questions and question, and I was really listening for the answer. Hmm. Um, 
And so I was already kind of like, for whatever reason, warmed up for that one minute task. And so for whatever reason that came, the, the thing came naturally. It could have gone to anyone. It could have gone to someone with better abs. I mean, it, but, it, but I got it. For Sounds like reason. things just lined up. You're in the right space. Everything kind yeah. of like right. worked yeah. out. And, and, and the, the rest bears out. I mean, it was successful enough that they just kept doing it, you know, for years and years and years. So, um, I, you know, I acknowledge the enormous role that luck plays in it, you know, and, I, and, I, and I'm not one to take credit for something that, you know, is not mine. I did not create the character. I was not, you know, there were a lot of people who did all of that. But I do think there's no denying that I was the right person for that job. Um, and that I can admit. Yeah, that, you know, that's something I could admit with with humility and realizing also that a lot of it is very impersonal. You know, there are jobs that you're exactly right for and there are jobs that, you know, the man behind door A is exactly right for. Mm -hmm. um, and it just happens that this one was right for me at the right time. You know, when you know, uh, I do want to clarify one thing, though. Sure. Um, the reason I brought up this whole thing about the closet and joking about Madam outing me and all this stuff. I, um, I do want to clarify that nobody ever told me expressly that being out would be an issue. Really? Um, okay. All right. So some people told me, but no one from, no one from the company ever said to me, if you're, if you're, um, if you're out and gay, you're, you're, you're not going to have this job. You're going to lose your job. But there was no um, roadmap for this. And the reason I even brought up Ellen was because her show didn't come out until two years after I had this job. Mm. So, and, and that really is the turning point. That really was the turning point in our business in that regard. Suddenly, it, it seemed like it was going to be okay for people to start slowly coming out. It still hasn't changed. I mean, okay there's been change but it's uh it's still a personal and dicey proposition because you're still dealing with you know in terms of casting decisions you're still dealing with you know a whole juggernaut of concerns and issues and prejudices and bias and and all of that stuff um that said uh um at the time i was like oh god well, I guess I'm really lucky that there's no outside persona because if I were in a position that someone asked me, I would tell them. Um, and then it turns out that no one did. And it wasn't until like 2011 that um, I did an article to promote a film that I had written the screenplay for and, for, and produced. And it was sort of this, it was pitched to me as this kind of like walk around New York um, show me the places you hang out and what, you know, it, it was, it was a New Yorker piece. And then the writer sold it to the Atlantic. And at one point in this log, I pointed out the apartment that I lived in with my boyfriend in the nineties. And, um, and that sort of became the hook that I was in this like gilded cage and I wasn't allowed to come out and I wasn't allowed uh -huh. to speak. And that became the one, ever written about this whole period of my life this entire decade of my life one article was that i was sort of like hamstrung yeah but the one article then got onto the wires and got onto the internet okay. and before you know it by day two of this thing coming out 
the New York Post headline on it was um, Verizon Man Reveals Bizarre Life, hmm. which of course is New York Post code for he's gay. You know, Interesting. Bizarre. Right. Yeah. So, so it became this whole other thing that became the hook to sell it to, you know, to, for right. it to become kind of viral. And it did become, you know, I trended it on Yahoo News and like all of that stuff as like coming out as gay. And I'm like, dude, I've always been out. <laughs> yeah. Just, I've never done press. Like I'm not, I wasn't that kind of actor. It was like a very different, very specific right. thing. It turned into um, clickbait in a sense where they just hooked onto this yeah. one topic and now we're like, oh my God, yeah. let's sell. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. And yeah, and it was very, you know, and it, that said, you know, um, it was germane to the, the topic of the film. The film was uh, a film about uh, a gay couple that experiences discrimination in a small town. And um, so, you know, the, the issue was personal and, and it was germane. It's not like they pulled it out of nowhere or deliberately maliciously outed me. But, um, and like I said, I mean, I had no, I, I'd never been in the closet, but then it sort of turned into a story that, you know, the narrative was kind of like, completely and totally out of my control right but and did Verizon um, come to you after that got leaked and um say anything to you well yeah I remember him the the interviewer asked me about something very specific this is also why I generally don't do any kind of interview <laughs> but um I I remember he ended the article on this one um he definitely had an angle like in the angle was that of course, this guy was miserable. I mean, he only gets to say this one thing. This is all he gets to do. He was supposed to be an actor. And, yeah. so, and I get that, but also there's a very practical-minded part of me that um, was extremely grateful for this job and, um, and felt challenged all the time. And there were things about it over the course of 10 years that I absolutely did not like. But um, I mean, does anyone have a job for 10 years where there's something in it that they don't like or a person they don't really get along with? It's just not possible. That said, I was so grateful for it. I was grateful for everything that it gave me. And um, he definitely wanted to sell this idea that this sort of creative person was kind of locked into this weird job. And, um, and the Verizon did comment? Like, but Verizon did comment? Yeah, it, it, yeah they, they didn't comment for the article. Um, but I had permission, certainly, to promote my own work outside of the Verizon Group. So I didn't do anything technically that was against our agreement. But the last thing I said in the interview was we were talking about being, we were talking about this issue, the idea of being in the closet. And, you know, and, and I was talking about the feeling of when I was a kid and being in the closet. And I was like, I'm glad that period of my life is over. And he used it in the context of, I'm glad the Verizon period of my life is over. Ooh, wow. And so naturally it created this sort of like feeling of like, what, like, why are you saying that? Like, mm -hmm. And you were still you with know, Verizon at that point or? Yeah, yeah, I was still totally under contract and, I, and, and continued to be so for a couple of years thereafter. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I was able to explain myself whether or not they believed me. Yeah. Well, they kept you around for a few oh. more years, so I guess they, yeah. they were okay yeah. with it. Well, they're like, no, yeah, we can't. So. We can't get rid of him. He'll he'll go to the news. I know, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, but uh, no, I have I have no hard feelings about that situation. And then, but then I wanted to make sure there was clarity when the sprint thing came along. And I remember in the first or second meeting, uh, I was on the phone with all of the executives there, whom I've gone on to work with for the past. I've almost four years now. Well, did you want to join another cell phone um, 
company? Like, no, no, no. I was retired from commercials. I was producing independent films and I was writing screenplays and I was doing other things. And, and I really had considered myself retired from commercials. Um, and I was like, you know, that's a great run. Don't get greedy. <laughs> and, um, uh, and then they came to my agent with an idea. I mean, Sprint mm. had this idea. And, you know, we had to sort of hammer out what it would be because it was really, I mean, obviously I didn't own the character that I had played and I didn't have any interest in reprising that character anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so really what, what were we left with? It was either gonna be some kind of, some version of an endorsement that referenced, you know, what, uh, yeah, I was an actor who played this character, but I tried this and it's actually kind of great and it doesn't cost as much. So why, why wouldn't you? And that, and I kind of liked that approach. I thought it was good. And I was like, well, let's, you know, for clarity's sake, let's make sure that I always say my name at the beginning so people know that it's mm -hmm. me and not the character. And, right. You know, um, and I kind of, I don't know. I just thought, it, I thought there was something a little bit punk rock about it. I kind of loved the idea. And Those people of Verizon like, must be so pissed they let you go because the Sprint campaign turned out to be such a success. Yeah, they shouldn't have let me go. <laughs> Nobody should let me go. Um, yeah, it's weird. And then, of course, you know, well, that's a whole conversation around the conversation. What? I what? think it's interesting. I was going to say the, um, the, the, the odd sort of uh, level of vitriol that came from that, from people who felt betrayed. Like, <laughs> like people? Wow. Or? Yeah, just, you know, it's sort of like you know the comment sections and the, didn't family um, guy do a bit about it or something yeah yeah there was definitely that i mean there were def yeah that it became a meme about um betrayal because yeah people disloyalty. said people said you betrayed them but and really they let you go it's not like you yeah i was yeah. an actor i had a job right. and then i didn't have a job and then someone else offered me a job and i who, took who it. wouldn't take so, it like, yeah who wouldn't take another job who wouldn't I take mean, it yeah. yeah. So um, to me, it just seemed that seems silly. But I also think that part of it is that, you know, we suspend our disbelief when we watch something on TV and or we watch a play or we watch a movie. And I think it's sort of natural to be resentful when someone pulls the curtain back and reveals the man behind the curtain. You know, we fall in love with these characters or we connect with these characters or we buy something because of these characters. And then um if they're if it's revealed to the viewer that there's something there's a machination behind all of that it sort of it it um it gets rid of the suspension of disbelief and i think you know we're, we naturally have a response to it and because now we respond to everything on our phones like on twitter right. or whatever you can you can you can say something horrible or nasty or you know and it's all um, instantaneous like it's just right immediately yeah yeah, However you're yeah. feeling in that moment without even thinking it through, you're just, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's pure it. Yeah. So, so when you were, um, when you were doing yeah. this campaign, obviously it was really large. I was just kind of curious, did it help or hinder your other acting career, like your film and TV acting career that you were, or were you only focused on well, commercials at the time? Yeah. I mean, when the Verizon thing happened, I mean, commercials had always been sort of like a side game. They were the side game that paid for my life sure. and and they um you know and i had health insurance you know 
which I had maintained from the very first commercial I ever did. And so that was all really important to me. Um, Security is important to me. I love uh, commercials. I mean, it's you make, yeah. you make some money and you show up and you have some fun doing a commercial. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and that was great because I could do this other stuff. Like I was making commercial, I was making uh, theater with my friends and, um, and yeah, I guess it could be argued that that would have been the time because I was just turning 30 and it might've been the time where sort of like I could have taken a legit turn in my career and, um, people were coming to see what I did. And, um, it could be argued that that would have been the time to get, you know, to, to um, say, you know, I'll maybe, maybe don't do a bunch of commercials right now. Maybe what you should be doing is focusing on legitimate work. But I always just thought, um, I don't know, this is the job I have and I'll worry about the next job when I get the next job. Mm. And um, it just happened that it kept going. So yeah, I mean, I ended up having, you know, a really good legit agent that were really fired up about working with me. And, um, but they were, they were hamstrung too. I mean, the way things work, you know, specifically in New York at the time, it's like if you were going to do a day on law and order, which every New York actor did, you had to clear out about 10 days, you know? Um, and with, com with the commercial contract that I had and the schedule that I was on, it wasn't ever possible to do that. And, and it was structured in such a way that I had to give a very sort of onerous kind of notice for a day off um, and I had to go through an approval process. Mm. So the way those things worked, I mean, you know, you book it and then, or you put on hold promising those two weeks and then you can book it and be at work the next day. Timing wise, that stuff just never worked out for me. They never couldn't guarantee out. my availability. So the short answer is there was no availability for me to do other things. And I was like, well, it's going to end next year. You know, it'll end next year. It'll end next <laughs> right. year. And it just never did, you know. And then by like 2009, 2010, um, I was starting to, to um, get more serious about screenwriting. I'd had a film that sort of went into production and then went into turnaround to like two weeks into shooting in the mid-2000s, like 2005. And um, it was my first screenplay. And I was totally fucking devastated that the film died. And, um, and I was like, well, why don't I partner up with someone who really knows what they're doing and learn how to produce myself? So if it falls apart, I have no one to blame but myself. Um, and so I really started focusing on that work. And I wasn't focusing on doing stuff myself, like acting and other things. I just, you know, I, I kind of, I don't know, I lost the curiosity about it, which has when kind of been my... Yeah, when you accept like a, a pitch meeting, like somebody wants you to produce their stuff, is there like, what's a tip you have for somebody that's pitching to you? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I have very specific guidelines what I'm interested in. I, I work almost entirely with things that are, that either um, are infused with queer sensibility um, or are queer themed one way, shape or form. Those are, those are the projects I'm most interested in. Or it's someone that I've been collaborating with since like the 90s, you know what I mean? So, but, but what I really look for, if I'm going to either put financial support into something or, or work on something as a producer, um, the work that I tend to support is uh, no one above the line is getting paid. Like they're doing this work because it's, the, it's either they want to create a calling card, they really believe in the work, 
um, it's a labor of love. It has to be made. It's got a burning need. So those are the projects that, that, I, that I'm interested in. Aren't there SAG minimums? Don't they have to get paid minimum? Yeah, but he's just saying. Well, I'm, I mean above the line. I mean like the producers and the people who are making Oh, my bad. Are, okay. are, are either going to seriously defer uh, until, defer any kind of payment until. Right. You know, I the investors and all and that sort of thing. Right. Oh, oh wow. You just oh, went yeah. for a while. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Is it gone for good? Okay, we're back. We're good. Um, so yeah, so those are the ones. I mean, basically it's like, I want sort of scrappy downtown theater, but in film. Um, and and I and I want to you know I want to have some kind of um, I think your mic uh, fell I don't know yeah. if you oh no is it all gone yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hanging it's hanging down here now do, do you have a lavalier yeah. um, um, no 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 I oh have, that's good oh god damn it oh okay <laughs> <laughs> it's all good I, I made a mistake thing, I thought I don't know how to make it non vertical <laughs> wait okay. oh there it goes oh you just had it yeah and it's we lost still there. <laughs> Think we got, I think we got the audio. You can hear me okay? Yeah, yeah we can hear you. You just wanted me to say the line. <laughs> All right, I can't see myself anymore, so I'm just trusting that. I well, can't we see can't you. see you either. Yeah. Oh. You oh, might have turned turn the video off, yeah. All right, now how do I change that? Paul could probably like log off and get on in this. Okay, oh, there, there he is. There he goes. I'm back. So nice. Paul's so only interested in straight art, um, only something that speaks to him. And no, this isn't a, you know, uh, I'm, he's interested in just hardcore art. Yeah, but not even necessarily. I mean, it can be for whatever reason. I mean, it, you know, it could be, no, I don't know if it needs to be straight art, but it needs to speak <laughs> to me. I need yeah. to care about it. Yeah, um, you, you care I'm, about, um, you know, what do you stories. call it, like gay rights, and that's what speaks to you. That's yeah. yeah, social so social part. issues for the social issues. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so that's that's what interests me. Um, and if I'm really curious about it, I've always sort of like followed my curiosity. Like that's kind of I don't uh, you know dreams are for the bedroom. <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't have big dreams. I never did. <laughs> um, but I you know I knew there were things that I was curious about and I wanted to pursue and I wanted the opportunity to pursue them and. Um, and, th and, and that's kind of what I've, what I've, what I've followed. That's been sort of like the guiding principle. Now, I, I, saw, I saw that you also produced a documentary called I Am Divine. Are you- Well, I didn't produce, produce that. It? I came okay. out as, I was like a co-executive producer or something like that. Okay. And basically, it's a, a filmmaker named Jeffrey Schwartz that I totally, totally adore and believe in. And he does these great documentaries about, um, I mean, they're all either like about queer icons or somehow infused with queer sensibility. That's cool. There's one he's working on right now that's, that um, had my name written all over it. And I think okay. I, I might've been the first person in on this one. Interesting. It's all about the time in which Gloria Swanson um, tried to get a musical made out of Sunset Boulevard right after she won her Oscar. Um, so it's this period of time where this musical was created long before there was ever, you know, a brother musical for Sunset Boulevard. Um, and so he's doing that film right now. But um, yeah, he did Tab Hunter Confidential and um, I Am Divine, which I was just right. so excited to. I wasn't sure if you were, you, were you a Pink Flamingos fan? 
Oh yeah, I was a huge John Waters fan in every yeah. way. Um, adored Divine, and and it's and and again, it's sort of like harking to like the things that kind of awakened my sensibility as a young right. person. And so right. I was just so excited to be part of that. That yeah, and honestly, I gave money and support. I mean, that was all I did. Yeah. Do you have any projects coming up that you're that you're working on right now? Yeah, I mean, it's such a you know, it's, yes. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm working on a uh, a series, a, a semi autobiographical series, um, uh, about uh, your life or yeah yeah okay it's, um, it's it's basically about um, a struggling actor who's given an opportunity to play this role in a commercial that turns into this very long term contract and so um, uh, it's 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 semi-autobiographical. He basically is playing um, a customer service rep for a cable company, for a massive cable company. And, um, and it's all about sort of like uh, figuring out how to live a life when um, the way you've seen yourself is supplanted by this sort of um, ubiquitous character persona that kind of takes over. Um, and that, uh, and, and that's really what the show is about. It's a half hour single camera comedy. You think and uh, that, and each season will represent one year. In you think, the, oh, it's kind of cool. Uh, Timothy yeah. Chalamet to play a young Paul or, or who, who do you think? Oh, now you're just flattering. <laughs> <laughs> or who do you think? I don't know. Yeah, who should play God, you in the movie who? of your life? Oh God, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, no, I'm just, now I'm just going to try to flatter myself. <laughs> so this is, this is a terrible Please, question. We want to hear it. Who better to play Paul? Yeah, but I mean, yeah, but who plays me in my thirties? I don't know. Or who plays me in my twenties? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who that person is. I'll, 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 take I'll take the twenties. I'll take the twenties. Awesome. Okay, good. Done. All right. Yeah. And you can, and, and, and you guys can play, uh, you know, uh, you know, I have a twin brother, so right. it makes perfect sense, actually, as it turns right. out. You're going to have to put on a little weight. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry. Thank, thank you. <laughs> okay, I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll play the less famous brother. That's fine. <laughs> all right. Sure. He's a firefighter. All right. Super sexy. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be in all the movie as a firefighter, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, yeah, so I've, yeah, so I've been working on that, and I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know what um, – I really don't know what's next. Uh, but I don't think any of us does right now. I mean, I think. Yeah, it's a weird time. Yeah, it's a it's a very weird time. Have so you ever met Flo? No, we have the same uh, agent actually. Interesting. Um, met. Guys, got to yeah. team up. We we never met. Um, <laughs> Stephanie Courtney is her name. I think she's a genius. And um, I fell in love with her because she played the publicist on the comeback. You know, the Lisa Kudrow. HBO show. Oh, oh yeah, my, okay. my parents yeah. really like that she, show. She, oh, thanks. Um, and you, HBO is a hit. I just didn't watch it. Yeah, I would. <laughs> yeah. They told me to watch um, it. But I... Yeah, she. Um, I'm sorry. I'm trying to get comfortable here. I remember she was she, in Mad um, Men too. I do remember that. Yeah, she. Yeah, she was in this, on the switchboard in Mad Men. Yeah. And she. Um, uh, but she, yeah, she played this sort of. Uh, she played Juno's publicist on the comeback, and I just thought this woman is. Is genius. I think she's so great. 
Um, and then, you know, I think she's incredible in these commercials. I absolutely love what they do with them. That's a long running campaign too. I mean, she's been at it for, yeah. my God. Yeah, years and years and years. Yeah. Wait until she goes to State Farm, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she switches it up. But they have I, a really interesting way of doing it. Do you know, have you read about how they go about their, doing what they do? They, um, they have one production team and one director who does everything. Really? And so, which, yeah, I've never heard of that. Before. One director, that's crazy. And, yeah, one yeah. director, it's wild. And, and it's all planned out. And, they, and, and so they have, you know, I think there's a great advantage to that because you understand the, the sort of style guide, you understand the rule book. Um, and then you can, and then you can play with it. You can do a million things. So there's no, you know, the, 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 the risks can be taken because we know what, um, what has to be inherent in the piece and then you can really play. Um, and I think if you have one consistent team, you get this opportunity to do all these different things. I, I kind of love what they do. I think it's entertainment. Yeah, me too. So I have to, I have to ask you, and I'm sure it's at mm. some point, all of this kind of got exhausting. People kind of probably come up to you saying they tagline all the time. I read something on IMDb saying that at some point at your grandma's funeral, somebody even said the tagline. Is that is that true? Is that that's in that's in my IMDb? I, IMDb it says at your grandma's funeral, somebody <laughs> said the tagline. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, someone did. Wow, that's just that's yeah. crazy to me. Why would they even? Why would they even say that? I know it's crazy. No, it's really not. I mean, in fairness, I think people get very excited when they see someone that they see on TV and they don't know what to say. And I certainly know that that happens to me too. Like I get, I I, I just assume not say anything (laughs) rather than say something stupid. And so I think in fairness, you know, listen, Nobody enjoys being at a funeral. Everyone's awkward anyway. Nobody knows how to behave. Um, but you definitely don't but, do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you probably don't do that. You're, yeah, that's probably not the time. But I think it was a way of sort of connecting or whatever. Um, I'm just laughing at how it. awkward that sounds to me. Yeah, that's so, that's so awkward. My God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not great. And there are certain times like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not, famous but I'm recognizable um and and there are a lot of times where you really 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 it's better not to be recognized you know what I mean like funerals are one a big one totally. uh, funerals and wakes you'd really rather blend into the background and um and and weddings too like mm-hmm. I, you know I mean throughout my 30s I was like a thousand weddings and um you really, it's not, it's not your day. You know I mean? It's right. not your day at all. People want to take pictures with you instead of the bride and groom or whoever it might be. Yeah. You know? It's like, uh, hey, yeah. there's an important yeah. couple here getting married. Yeah. Right. But if you're about to miss a flight, um, it can be helpful. Um, I'm dealing with some uh, health and medical issues right now. And I'll pull any card I can pull at this point to make sure that uh if it can help i'm gonna use yeah of course put it that way yeah i do so um where you know generally you sort of gauge um 
and, and here's the other thing too. I think if, if, if you're on a TV show or if you're in a play or uh, you know, in films, someone could come up to you and say, I really loved that thing that you did. This was really amazing. This was very impactful to me. And, and this is the reason. And then you have a thing to talk about. With a commercial, it's really, or at least in my experience of it, it's really much more of a sort of where's Waldo thing. Like people are genuinely excited that they, that, that they spotted you, but then there's nothing else to really say about it. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know what I mean? There's, there's no conversation thereafter. So, so that you know, can, can, can be a little awkward. Yeah. But I will say in person, I have, I've only had one bad experience. Really? Where someone came up to me and, and was malicious. Um, that all happened really? on Twitter. Um, but yeah, but for the most part, people have been absolutely lovely and really, really, really nice. What did they say? What did they say to you when they were come on, they were malicious? Come on, I mean, what was, no, it was it like want to know well, what happened? And, 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 well, Verizon's and not that say, good, actually. It actually doesn't drop call <laughs> right. all the time. <laughs> well, it actually, it didn't. It wasn't even about that. Um, I was on a plane and I was sort of like you know you are. I've been traveling on, you know, all day. Um, making a connection. I was flying back to Hartford because I, I live in Northwestern Connecticut. So I, you know, have to go through Hartford to, um, to get home. So everything is a connection. It's a small airport. And, you know, even the, the smallest flight takes all day because you have connections and whatever. And you're waiting around. And so it was, it was a long day. It was maybe like 11 o'clock at night. I was getting back. I was groggy. I had worked for three days prior to that. So I was just getting out of my seat and standing up and stretching a little bit and taking my bag out of the overhead compartment. And all of a sudden I heard someone say, you got a problem, buddy? <laughs> and I looked around because I was like, oh, someone's going to get in a fight. Seems <laughs> <laughs> like someone's about to get in a fight. And, and I turned and I, and I looked and I didn't see anything. And I was looking at the person behind me as if to say, who's about to get in a fight? And he was like, why are you looking at me? You got a problem? And I was like, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't even, I'm sorry, I didn't even know I was looking at you. And I reached out to like put my hand on his arm. He was standing right next to me. Like, no, dude, I, I didn't even know I was looking at you. I was in my special place. And, and he just recoiled me. He was like, now you're touching me. And that's just weird. Damn. So he like, he like came for me. I couldn't, it came out of nowhere. Jeez. And so I had to, I figured out what it was. I figured out what it was. I think my face has been so, um, has become such like a drumbeat in our media landscape. And I'm generally so affable and like smiley and agreeable and positive and trying to, you know. Um, Help, helpful. Uh, yes. All of those things, reliable. Um, <laughs> that I think if when my face goes neutral, like if I'm not giving you that, um, I think even on a subconscious level, even among friends and people that I relate with on a regular basis, um, if my face is serious or just blank, um, it, it, it comes across a little harsher than someone who's just walking down the street. Mm. Because the expectation behind it is that always got to be smiling and happy and happy to see you. And that of course, makes sense. oh, there you are. Hi. Like, why yeah. would they say hi to someone I didn't even know was sitting behind me? 
Right. You know, so, so the whole thing was so strange that, that there would have been that expectation there. And I think um, it's what it is. I think, and, and that is in some ways the power of media. How did it resolve you know, that, that Even on a subconscious level. It just stopped. I was like, dude, I, I just, good. I traveled all day. I was, you know, so I, I don't know. I don't know what this is about. Yeah. Yeah, it was very strange. I've got to let my dog off the sofa. Okay. okay. The, the pug? Yeah. Do you want to see him? Yeah. Yes. I, I, I remember we were on set with you and they were, we were working with the pug and you were very in tune. You knew that the pug on set was overheating. And I asked you, how do, how do you even know that? Yeah. Like, I have pugs. Yeah. Uh, this what's, is, this what's, is Oliver. Hey, um, Oliver. What's up, bud? Yeah. He's basically bionic. He's uh, six, 16 or oh, 16 wow. and a half years old. Aww. Yeah. And um, he had a little surgery last year, so his head is just a little crooked, um, which I think makes him even more like an exotic flower. Yeah, he looks good, beautiful. though. He does. He looks good for 16. Yeah, he, absolutely. Like said, 16 is great. He's half artificial, so. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so where else should this conversation go? How can I be of service to your listeners? Oh, well, wow. I, I, we do really appreciate the time yeah. that you took to talk with us. And, you know, I know you're a busy guy with, you know, in this pandemic. Yeah, so we're, we're not going to keep you here. We're all, all so busy right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I did. I remember one time Aaron and I for the uh, commercial campaign that we did, we sent you a text because we said, hey, we have to do a personal appearance all day with the company. Yeah. And just, you know, just advice that you have, because I'm sure you've done this forever. And you sent us back like two paragraphs. You were really helpful. You were like really helpful and you knew yeah. exactly like you had tons of experience. And you um, have went through a journey with your career that probably only you and Flo and the Geico Gecko has, you know, have ever experienced. And we got a taste of that. Looking back, what advice or little insights have you picked up from a career of being a spokesperson slash reoccurring commercial campaign guy that you can think of? I don't know. I mean, let's put it this way. Um, I I really do always go back because I want to get it better. Like I I, I want to do better at it. Um, and and that sort of like curiosity and challenge is still always there. Um, so if I had any advice, it would really be that. Um, I do the work that I learned, you know, when I was training to be an actor, which is, um, you know, a basic scene analysis, you know, ask yourself a few basic questions, like, you know, um, what does the character want and from whom? And uh, what will it look like if you get it? And, um, and then how can I play that? Like, what's the thing that I, what's something that would be fun that I could play all day, like 47 takes on one angle, you know? Um, and, and then at least, at the very least, if I'm not challenged by the material, I'm challenged by the work that I put into the material. And that keeps me engaged intellectually. And I think that intellectual engagement, specifically with commercials, is much more important than an emotional connection. Because at the end of the day, you're selling the product. You know, so yeah. to expect some kind of emotional connection to that material is, is really unrealistic. But you want to do a good job, and they're paying you very well to do it. And um, and 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 I I I don't know how much you did on 
stage, but there's nothing worse than the feeling of going out for an undeserved curtain call. Um, it's, a, it's a horrible feeling to know that you just would rather go home than show up for applause that, was, that you didn't right. earn. Um, and so there's part of you that, uh, that really wants, I think about five years into the Verizon campaign, I was like, I have to stop imitating what it is I think they want and go back and, and figure out how to do this job, doing the work that you know how to do. Um, and it was at that point, you know, because commercials are quantifiable, because they either don't, they either sell shit or they don't. I was able to start, start tracking like how well that consciousness was actually paying off. Cool. And so when I did my work and went after my thing and really focused on doing it seriously, instead of kind of like aping what it was I thought they wanted, I'll just give them, I'm just going to guess what I think they want and do that. Um, that's when the numbers started picking up. And I, you know, I think that's why I've maintained the jobs that I've maintained, that they weren't flashes in the pan. I think part of it is that um, I do that you don't see, you know, because the rest of it is easy. I mean, it's just memorization hard and it's getting harder. Yeah. Damn, interesting. Austin, yeah, what do you remember? Really cool. Like when Paul messaged us, ours was a specific thing we we're doing, like um, at the corporate office doing like a personal appearance. I remember I'm, something I, Paul, Paul said was that, um, I mean, he seemed to like, Paul knew you were like, you're there to do a job, but part of doing that job is to make each one of those um, people you're meeting, the coworkers, um, you know, feel you know, special or whatever. You know, you're going to be doing the kind of the same stuff all day, but, you know, realize they have your pictures up in costume up all over their offices. They probably look at you every day and just realize that, that it might not be a big deal to you, but that the 15 seconds when each one meets you might be a huge deal to them. That's something I yeah. thought was really smart. Yeah, that that was a that was a huge thing, and it was something that I really learned um, during this. You know, because I would do these sort of meet and greets where I would go in and meet like a thousand employees in one day, hmm. and you would go to a corporate call center and they'd put you in like a an all hands room, and you would just meet one after the other, the other. And yeah. at the time, it was Polaroids, and then it became camera photos, and um, I mean, phone camera phone thing, you know, and then smartphones, and but. Um, you know, basically I would have a, a fraction against to um, gauge how this person would be comfortable being approached. And um, it was a real practice in that moment to moment work that you learn in improv and all of that stuff. And it's just, and it was actually, um, I think in some ways that, that made me a better person. The idea that, um, that I can, uh, Kind of take a breath and, and, and take this person in and then just from my most generous self, like whatever it was that I gauged that um, they, they, were, they were coming to me for. And, 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 and I don't think it was conscious work. It was just that I had to be open because there were so many people and it happened so fast. And, um, and I also knew that like, you know, this character represented something that they considered to be bigger than themselves. Everyone needs meaning in their job. And that's what these campaigns do. They, they help create, you know, uh, meaning. You know, they're, they're like, okay, so we're on a team and this is the captain of our team. Yeah. Or, you know, and the feeling that you're part of something bigger than yourself. And then this is the human manifestation of that thing. 
if I were to be anything other than respectful and kind and generous and open, it would be humiliating and, yeah. um, and, and really terribly unkind. And um, so even though people would say the most outrageous things would be totally inappropriate, but for the most part, they were really, really excited. Um, I, just had to, I just had to meet them from my most generous self. Because um, I think those things are, you know, I, I, did, I don't know. It's just a nice thing to do. I yeah, well, I think that's spot on. And you told us that, basically that, in a detailed way that day. And that was, that was right on, exactly. Yeah, I told mm. you you should write a book. <laughs> well, a very niche book. All right. What yeah, else, guys? A very niche book. Hey, I wanted yeah. to know how you feel about 5G. You know, 5G is the new thing. <laughs> do I have to have a feeling about it? I don't know. Do you have any thoughts or no? Is it a... You, you live through 4G, you live through 3G. Probably shouldn't have any thoughts. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's faster. I, I guess it's faster, right? I mean, yeah. it means you can do a lot more things a lot faster. But, the, but they say it's killing people, always, right? People are always scared. I've, I've, I've heard that. I've heard yeah. that. I've heard it. Uh, it was blamed. Uh, the coronavirus, was, uh, 5G was the culprit of that, too. Yeah. I don't think that's true. I tend to think that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, and, and honestly, I really don't know about any of the technology. I mean, uh, it's explained to me when I have to do a commercial about it. But yeah, um, yeah I'm usually a late to the party. Right. Yeah. And I'm, sure you're, I'm sure you're obligated to have whatever phone service you're currently promoting. He gets it for free, of course. Why wouldn't No, I do not. What? I'm a real customer. <laughs> really? No, I'm a real customer and I pay for it. I mean, you know, granted, I'm paid really well for the work I do. Sure. Um, but I, I remember so people not, on set. It's the, not a hardship. The crew on set who had worked with Sprint, they said, uh, some of them multiple times. I asked some of the crew, um, some of the higher ups in the crew, I can't remember, but they said, yeah, we get Sprint for free. Isn't that what they told us, Austin? Well, yeah, it's like the writers do, but yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a Sprint employee. I, right. you know, I'm, I, and, and, and this was also really important to me. I was like, if I'm going to, Say that I switched. Like I'm really going to a switch. Oh, that's cool. And and, and I was like, uh, and I should be a real customer. Otherwise, it's just I'm not speaking from a true place. So yeah, I go into the store just like anybody, or I get things online. But I'm a real customer. I pay my bill. Well, yeah. nice. And my final question is: after Verizon, but before Sprint, what phone plan yeah. did you have? Oh, I was still in Verizon, but I mean. I mean, out of sheer laziness, more, more than anything. I mean, I wouldn't have thought to switch it. It yeah. didn't dawn on me. There, I hadn't been given a compelling reason to switch, um, and uh, and I, you know, and I had no bones to pick with them whatsoever. And I wouldn't switch if someone hadn't asked me to. Right. Um, Verizon works but, great. Yeah. And Get the, out of here, Johnny. <laughs> I don't have. I don't have Verizon. Uh, Sprint. I got T-Mobile. Sprint, dude. Right. All right. Um, uh, but they gave me a really good, you know, co compelling set of reasons. And they were like, sure. you know, give it a try. And they also said, if you don't like it, don't do the commercial, you know, so. Oh, that's cool. I was like, that's I was pretty like no, I'm going to like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It'll be, it'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Anyways, Paul, thank you so much. Um, yeah. You know, where can we find you? Do you want to plug anything, your personal Instagram or anything? Yeah, I'm not promoting anything. All I right. just want all of us to get out of this alive. You know yes. what I mean? Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, there's not anything I'm promoting. Um, You're just a good guy yeah. who did us a favor. Thank you, man. <laughs> I was I'm really happy to talk to you guys. You know, I'm a big fan. Thank oh, you, Paul. I really appreciate you. it. Thank All you. Right. All right. Bye, you guys. Yeah, take, take care. care. Have a good one.